is Apollo from the Greco-Roman tradition in reality a clever depiction of an alien life form? Stones in France are the way markers for intergalactic travelers. Is there a race of red-haired giants in America? And will they change our history? Hi, hello and welcome to Digging Up Ancient Aliens. This is the podcast where we examine the TV show Ancient Aliens. Do their claims hold water to an archaeologist or are there better explanations out there? I'm your host Frederick, and this is episode 18 and we're going to see what the ancient aliens have to do with the Greek and Norse pantheon. This episode was originally called Gods and Aliens and was aired on November 4th, 2010. To help me sort out the ambrosia from the vinegar is the Drunk Mythology Gals or, well, at least part of them, but they will soon be able to present themselves in just a moment here. Unfortunately, we did have some issues while recording, so parts towards the end ended up in quite a shamble. So I have summarized, well, at least the story of the Lovelock Giants, where we unfortunately had quite a lot of interference. Maybe it's the alien overlords trying to shut us down. So quickly before they do so, go to our website where you will find sources, resources and reading suggestions. Just go to diggingupancientaliens.com. There you will also find contact info if you notice any mistakes or have any suggestions. And if you like the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you left one of those fancy five-star reviews that I heard so much about. Enough of me jammering. Let's see what happened when aliens went to Greece. So I will welcome, well, half of the show, uh, Drunk Mythology Gals. Welcome. Hi. For listeners who might not uh, be familiar with you, could you maybe introduce yourself? Hey, Drunk Mythology friends. I'm Kate. (laughs) And I'm Mother Jen. And we're two of the... Drunk mythology, Drunk mythology girls. girls? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, we're even as guests on somebody else's program, we still can't say the name in sync. We can't get our shit together. <laughs> I would try to sync it up in post later. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, that's the stick is that it. I sabotage it. I, it's become the thing. It's, yeah, yeah. I I openly sabotage our show name so it never <laughs> and, will be in sync <laughs> and she and uh, original jen who can't be here today uh basically they they start to like spy versus spy each other trying to anticipate how they're going to sabotage it but um basically the backstory to our podcast is og original jen and i um both write uh, novels based on mythology and mm-hmm. we take the stories and sort of transpose them into more modern contexts. And I specialized in Greek mythology and she specialized in Norse mythology. And we're like, we have all this research and we get so mad seeing all these other stories and books out there where they don't do their homework yeah. and they don't get it right. 
we're like, why not? Let's just start a podcast. And after a couple of episodes, uh, Jen messaged me and she's like, you need me on your show. I was like, okay. <laughs> and then about a month after that. Is that the version you remember? That's the version I remember. <laughs> because you're Carry awesome. <laughs> What's Jen's version on this? I wonder then. <laughs> oh, are we going all like comparative histor historiography here? Well, we're looking version. for the truth. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And so then you come to me for the truth. Yeah. So what was actually, actually, oh my God. Um, that's like, that's not enough. Vodka she hasn't there. even started um, drinking the vodka yet. Yeah. I'm sipping vodka here. So she tells me <laughs> I have to listen to these episodes. So I start listening and then I'm texting her while listening. I'm like, wait a minute. What did you two just say? wait a minute is that true oh my god are you serious that <laughs> that's what the actual myth says and she's mm -hmm. like um yeah you're joining us like it or not you're now joining us <laughs> like, wait 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 what <laughs> she's like too late and so that's how i got sucked in <laughs> um yeah she tells a much nicer you know version but mine's more accurate <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to have Jen actually do her Jen descriptions of <laughs> a couple of the photos I put into the script here. But oh my um, and then we got Kim yeah. on board, who's the actual audio professional. She was on Sirius XM for years mm -hmm. and in broadcast before that. Yeah. And uh, she does our sound production and occasionally trolls us almost every single time with sound effects. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even outside of the podcast, I'm still the odd one out because all three of them are writers in some fashion. Mm. And while I'm, I do have some writer aspirations one day, um, I'm an accountant. <laughs> I'm an engineer with numbers. And so pair that with me being Generation X and I'm just, I'm going to be skeptical about anything and everything so yeah this being guests here with you i was yeah i was but it's good to have yeah, the, perfectly. the thomas mm -hmm. <laughs> of the yes. show the um, always a skeptic <laughs> wait a moment yeah. that can't yeah, be true <laughs> <laughs> and she's like um can you put that in a spreadsheet <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm surprised she didn't put her comments in a spreadsheet as she was doing her watching. <laughs> I will rope you in later when we start to discuss the Pythagorean uh, mathemat mathematic oh, later. My it will come up. But yeah. um, I have to yeah. ask, have you watched Ancient Aliens previously? Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> I No, seriously, like... At first, it was just kind of a gag thing with some friends and family members making me watch shows like this and other like paranormal <laughs> ghost hunting bullshit shows just to enjoy the spectacle of me going off in a ragey puff of smoke. Yeah. <laughs> and then like various people started taking it seriously. And I'm like, no, uh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, and, I have seen it yeah. before. <laughs> For me, I... I had never even heard of this show until you reached out to us and I listened to one of your prior episodes and it 
I was like, oh my gosh, this is fascinating. Uh, your podcast, not the show. <laughs> so you had this um, ignorant and- bliss of not knowing about this and you went around yeah. happy strolling right. on the fields and then I come and destroy the... Yeah, <laughs> you just ruined everything for her. Yeah. Little yeah. innocence so that's then- what's left. Yeah. So then when I sat down to actually watch the episode that we're going to talk about, I was like, oh, my God, really? I so I now <laughs> see the history channel. And for the listeners, I'm doing air quotes, history channel. Mm. I see right? them in a very different light now. It's like, are you kidding me? Oh, my goodness. They're, they're yeah, I'll, I'll <laughs> screenshot some of our select comments <laughs> in the shared Google Doc when she was doing her watching notes. <laughs> it's beautiful. Sounds fantastic. But have you encountered the claims in this episode previously? If you have been into the mythology, have you ever stumbled upon maybe by mistake the whole alien connection or similar that we bring up in this episode previously? Yeah, I've I've encountered a you know all the various sort of tangents and topics they go through. I have encountered people who are like red pilled on this <laughs> and who want to fight me on it, and <laughs> it doesn't end well. Yeah, and I've certainly heard the claim that you know aliens were involved in the pyramids or. Stonehenge, or I, I think even some of the Aztec uh, structures, I yeah. I've, feel like I've heard those being, you know, given credit to aliens, but <laughs> I've never heard the gods of mythology being described as a, that was a new one. That was a new one for me. And I can tell you, if there were gods of mythology, they'd be pissed off at being described as aliens. I'm just saying. <laughs> Okay, but should we start to dig down into this whole mess of uh, things? <laughs> <laughs> if, I, I, only if you're ready. Yeah, yeah. Kate's gonna. Kate had so much rage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always ready, almost. So um, we have this overture of. Uh, Things that will come up in the episode, always starting on that. And this pompous intro with this strangely 90s graphic, even though this was published in 2010. Quickly we go into uh, Truva Turkey for something I wasn't really mm-hmm. prepared on. <clears throat> but they bring up the find by a Heinrich Schliemann in 1868. Mm-hmm. So Heinrich Schliemann was an accountant, if I remember correctly. Who uh, went out <laughs> with the? <laughs> oh, sorry, other junior people have something to account for here. So he went out with his copy of the Iliad, uh, dedicated to find the city of Troy, and he then stumbled on a place that he then fa- thought was looked like Troy, as depicted in the um, book that he had. And as the understanding is now, it's likely Troy, but the connection to the Iliad is murky as at best. There's some evidence of battle going on on the site, but if it's connected with Troy and all of that is, of course, discussed. But there is 
well, except from the layering of the site, also connections to Mesopotamia, who is referring to the site as part of the part of Troy, so to say. And it was a powerhouse, so it was likely to be part of a greater conflict or used uh, by Homer as a, you know, narration device in his story, of course, since Mm -hmm. people might have been familiar with the location. I just want to say before we get any further, this is really, really insidious because they start by tossing out a relatively tame, plausible, you know, fact or set of conjectures, Mm. right? And they back it up with somebody who has UCLA behind them. Like it's a very, you know, to, you know, to be a lecturer, even though, you know, they're not a professor, but they're a lecturer Mm. at UCLA Classics and UC Santa Barbara. um, That's that's not an easy position to get. So, you know, he can't be a complete crank, although who knows what time has done. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Um, I'm, But Schliemann did actually discover, you know, the city hmm. and he, there's a lot of evidence that you could be like, okay, plausibility. Yeah. That seems reasonable. So they literally flip your cognition switch to, okay, possible, reasonable, meh. Hmm. And then they go on, like, that's the last (laughs) moment where I say okay to anything in this show. Yeah, the fun thing, they they bring this up since it's actually something that's true, just to, you know, get the viewer into, well, this is true, what else can be true in the myth? And re- it's like buying into an MLM. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> they usually, especially in these earlier seasons, get these real scientists. I'm not that familiar with Richard uh, Rader that you referred, the mm-hmm. lecturer at UCLA. But uh, they have tricked several people, especially in the first season, to appear on the show. And then they realize, oh, shit, this was not what I signed up for. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> Erase that from their CV. <laughs> Not everyone. They still, I did this. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so for a mea culpa. Yeah, they, you know, they were tricked, duped into it, or cleverly edited. But I'm not too familiar with Richard Rader because you have this with PhDs that are believers in this, but they usually study something else not related to the ancient aliens theories. There's a lot of English yeah. lit uh, professors that buy into the ancient alien uh, phenomenon for reasons I have not understood yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can get a PhD in underwater basket weaving. That doesn't mean that I know anything about aliens. <laughs> Oh I, I just did a quick live Google. He's actually now a full professor at uh, UC Santa Barbara, mm. and uh, he gets great reviews. He's got, um, he seems like really, really legit. So, Kate, do you have anything yeah. to add here? I think that you <laughs> wrote a... Jen? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Oh, Jen? <laughs> this is where the problem, the problem with having me here and not knowing history very well at all is I'm watching this and I'm asking, is Troy a real place? 
was Troy a real place? Is are we, <laughs> you know, this guy says they found Troy, but like, aren't there similar archaeological sites all over this region? How do we know Homer wasn't just writing about any town, Turkey? It's um, okay. That you know is now going to be a forever <laughs> phrase for us. <laughs> any town, Turkey. Like every time I mean, they mention Anatolia, it's like any town, Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Several months ago, I the gals exposed me to Phantom of the Opera. Beyond just knowing the name of it, I'd never seen the play. I'd never read the book, movie, none of it. Um, I, I'd heard of it, of course, but I'd never read or watched any of it. And I knew it was a work of fiction, but I didn't know that it took place in an actual opera house that really exists. And I got to visit that opera house last month. And that's why they were telling me about it mm -hmm. ahead of that visit. But the opera knowing, in Paris, knowing the that the Palais Garnier... <laughs> in Paris exists <laughs> the doesn't mean that the phantom story was true. Just because the setting was real doesn't make the characters real because if that's all that we need for determining fact versus fiction is mm. if the setting is real, the location, then there are some really awesome rom-com characters <laughs> that I read about in novels taking place in New York City, and I want to meet those characters right now, please. <laughs> and oh my god! And you know, here's the deal: the history, the the concept of history, qua history as we know it, as this objective empirical, or at least attempt at objective empirical mm. study. And also from a Western European historical tradition, because other cultures, uh, not looking at you, ancient China or ancient <laughs> India or Africa or anything like that, that maybe also had historical traditions, um, that really didn't kick in until Herodotus rolls around. And you get Herodotus, then you get Thucydides. But the first thing that Herodotus does, literally in the first page of the book, or lines of the scroll as it may be, is to debunk the myth of Io and Zeus. Yeah, Herodotus and is kind of the father of history, or as he's known among historians, the father of lies. Well, you know, <laughs> wow, it, this is one of those rare instances where both. <laughs> both are kind of right. Because while he took a very his, uh, pragmatic, uh, show me the money kind of approach to mythology, mm. he was like, wag the dog, let's get this <laughs> propaganda out there for everything else that was actually historically happening. But you know, I don't know why everyone is always so stuck on Homer. Like, is that the only source they know? And if so, that is, it, yeah. I mean, <laughs> even though the concept of strictly factual history is a bit wishy-washy even today because, oh, I don't know, thousands of articles argue about mm -hmm. it. It's pretty clear from the tens of thousands of other texts that we have uncovered throughout the goddamn ancient Mediterranean <laughs> that the ancient Hellenic peoples were extremely scientifically curious. And they right. also like to mind fuck each other. So if you've ever heard of Zeno's paradoxes, yeah. 
That was the freshman philosophy 101 class paper that inspired my first true grown-up fit of rage. But uh, now we have established that uh, since Homer mentioned a town that turned out to be true, everything else in mythology must be true. We... Logic, that is not how you logic. (laughs) That is not how you logic. That's how ancient alien logics. So we go from Greek to Sumeria and their favorite story, because we have heard this basically every episode since one. The Anunnaki, were you familiar with the Anunnaki? So we have Jason Martell who comes in and he's a fixture on this show and talks about <laughs> how Anunnaki is translated to what does he say those from heaven come to earth or something like that they called their gods the Anunnaki and that term simply meant those who from heaven come to earth <sighs> which comes from Zechariah Sitchin who uh, claims he uh, read <laughs> <laughs> ancient Mesopotamian uh, cuneiform scrolls except that his mm. translations goes against what the ancient Mesopotamians own, again, own dictionaries say the words <laughs> means. <laughs> so it's like someone wow. angry. But he's right. <laughs> Don't you know? He's right because he speaks English. <laughs> he speaks and, English. And yeah, and, um, he speaks English and like he has access to the internet. No, this was written in the <laughs> 70s, this book. So that's why well, he could see a Dewey Decimal <laughs> card catalog. <laughs> so I think a lot of these claims comes from, especially the seventies, when you know Google wasn't a thing really, and you need to go to the library and access materials that was to most people hard to obtain. Today, these mm-hmm. claims are almost ridiculous because anyone with a web browser can basically access ancient Mesopotamian dictionaries with just a simple Google search. So mm-hmm. again, but right. the Anunnaki is, well, basically children to the sky god Am. I mean, I have a weird theory, and as a good uh, pseudo-epigraphical historian, <laughs> I will say that this is solely my own conspiracy based on a bit of you know, psychology, etymology, and that motherfucker Carl Jung. Mm-hmm. Um, I think these people love using the Anunnaki because it sounds ancient and exotic. Mm-hmm. So it sort of justifies, you know, it, it's like the checkbox for progressive thought cred or, <laughs> you know, liberal academic cred. And yet the story encapsulates a fairly common spiritual and religious heuristic, which makes it accessible which makes it easier to swallow that humanity, quote unquote, shares common mythological tropes for a special reason. Although I'm pretty sure that Jung would have been like, hey, here's my card. You need therapy. (laughs) Like if he ever encountered these people claiming that aliens were the reason for his theory of, you know, common uh, mythological tropes. So, yeah, just throwing that just throwing i'm just saying but um there is a psychology <laughs> connection previously they claimed that people who hear voices really hear aliens just to be extra dangerous for everyone no they didn't yeah they, they did. did 
Oh my god. Mentally oh my ill god. people. That is not how you science. <laughs> <laughs> that is not how you science. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, um, boy. <laughs> yeah, they are pretty dangerous for many reasons, not just because it's silly ideas. Since we're talking about Sitchin, the Anunnaki, we move on to the grandfather of the whole phenomenon, Van Daniken. And a plug for his book from the early 2000, Odyssey of the Gods. And again, he raised the idea with the primitive forefathers that, you know, can't understand and describe things. Some thousands of years ago, when our forefathers were still primitive, some extraterrestrials descended to our planet. And because of misunderstanding, lack of technology, our forefathers thought that these extraterrestrials must be some gods. Because people who had writing didn't have the words to describe UFO and aliens. So therefore, you know, they described them as gods. 700 years ago, we described comets (laughs) as like a sign from God. There wasn't a word for comet. It was light (laughs) in the sky. Just saying. Also, a quick question. Did Von Daniken write Chariots of the Gods as well? Yeah, he's the famous author to Chariots of the Gods. That motherfucker. (laughs) He's Swiss, I think. Yeah, he is Swiss. And and now I know why OG isn't here. Her people have some shit to answer for. (laughs) So Von Daniken is a quite known uh, con man. And yeah, he wrote the um, <laughs> famous Chariots of the Gods. Uh, I forgot it for a second Ugh. in self-defense. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, no, I'm sorry. You repressed the memory. We're going to have to do some regression therapy and some hypnosis <laughs> to recover your memories. Yeah, that <laughs> might be needed. But um, Run away. Or Run to repress them. I wasn't so familiar with this book, so I needed to, you know, find it and uh, flip through it to see what, you know, where they got this idea. Because they usually base the episode on his different books. This is not the first time he plugs a book on the show. Uh, so I just wanted to go through and I realized that they, he has his uh, ways of describing things and he has this artistic approach to things so on page 35 (laughs) is that what you call it it was what himself called it on accident when he was called out in an interview oh wow but on page 35 (laughs) in the book he talks about the epic of Gilgamesh and a robot that's supposed to be in there that he calls uh, Shumbaba which I went, what? Chumbawamba? Yeah, Chumbawamba. Oh, sorry, <laughs> one of the things on our podcast is we we really like to uh, butcher ancient names. <laughs> so, yeah, it usually comes from me not being able to pronounce them. <laughs> like, what? But, um, so I started to try to find this uh, Shumbaba or Shumbalaba, but uh, realizing that it's not what... Shambhala. This thing is called because he gets the name wrong. It's a uh, humbaba or hovava. Oh, fun. <laughs> Humbug. Oh, my God. Um, he can't even get the name right. No. So he made a um, gem <laughs> or Kate. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, this robot, as he called it, is described in Tablet 2 in Gilgamesh as 
having paws of a lion and a body of a th- covered in thorny scales and his feet as claws of vultures and his head wear horns of a wild bulls. And he, his tail had a phallus each that's end with a snake's head. You know how robots oh, wait, usually wait, look what? like. <laughs> what the fuck did you... Wait. Oh, my God. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. He said, Kate, I heard what I think I heard, didn't I? Did About I, the phalluses yeah, yes. or the claws? Yes. Uh, it, it, or no, with the, the paws? All of it, but <laughs> fucking the, thing. The whole thing. But yeah, the the you really brought it home there with the the phallus with ending in a snake head. Kate, we need a, an episode on our podcast that well, covers I, this character. And I we'll have we Frederick need... on as a guest. Yeah, <laughs> and I think we need to compare this character to uh, the ones in, uh, I think it's episode three, Patricide is the New Black, where yes. we talk about Kronos uh, and Zeus mm. and right. uh, the Hecontoqueres, which are the hundred-headed, hundred-handed, or three-hundred-handed um we uh, tried to count how many hands and mouths. I don't math. I learned my lesson. I no longer math on our podcast. I was too drunk to count it correctly, and it was yeah, it was bad. But yeah, so and we just we need a, want, like it's not something we yeah. should. Yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah, and um, and I remember on that episode, OG had a very interesting question. Like, okay, so it's if it's the like there was a monster that had uh snakes snake heads Mm. for its feet and toes and fingers (laughs) and she's like is is it the front end of the snake the back end of the snake what happens to the back end of the snake like uh, she's (laughs) right she's yeah obliquely veering into human centipede territory yeah (laughs) and i'm like i get that you have questions this way this is why mythology is ugh and also, Frederick, yeah, it you are coming on to the podcast because it's too late. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hope you enjoyed your freedom yeah. while you enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was already <laughs> it decided, so I've accepted my fate there already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, Kidnapped by uh, drunk women <laughs> sounds like the main ads, but hey, we're a lot nicer. Um, but also, didn't then. Danikin have some fairly shady pseudo-fascist tendencies. Pseudo-fascist is quite nice. Usually they are, um, we have everything to... Upstanding members of the community? Yeah, like uh, Holocaust deniers <laughs> and um, all of that, the uh, Elder of Science Protocol, mm-hmm. you name it. Oh. And um, <laughs> if you start to... You want to talk about uh, <laughs> historiography. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I remember... Uh, hearing about von Daniken and you know the chariots of the gods and how he's he's not somebody you should just take at face value definitely not and you may notice it especially in his writings that when he talks about let's say people with more pigment it's always how primitive they are usually in the same sentence so the primitive Egyptians, the primitive uh, Maya, the oh, of yeah. course. But when he, as opposed to wow. the Norse, yeah, when he talks about the Germanic, and the Anglo-Saxons, the Anglo-Saxons, and the, the British, they, it's usually yeah. they worked with the aliens building. You know, they got maybe mm. instructions. They were open to learning, yeah. but uh, 
this little sidetrack <laughs> aside, uh, <laughs> yeah. let's get back to Greece and uh, Olympus, the home of the gods. And I always picture, you know, uh, ancient Greece skeptics climbing up on uh, Mount Olympus going, ha, called it, and then climbs down. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. That would absolutely be me. <laughs> and yeah. I'd come back Aren't down and so say... Like- all of you are full of shit. There's nothing up there but granite. And then... And some be- snow. Uh, yeah, and some snow. Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Even though it was easily climbed, the show then started to talk about how Mount Olympus wasn't necessarily the top of a mountain, you see, because that would be ridiculous. It's, in fact, a spaceship. Because in the ancient text, I think it's uh, our friend Giorgio Sukalos, the um, meme guy, as he's better known as, <laughs> saying that uh, usually yeah. there was a... I think of him... Sorry. There was this big rumbling, so the whole mountaintop just lifted up and flew away without referencing where he read that. But that's usual to him. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> how are you familiar with Sukalos? <laughs> oh, Did you ever goodness. see the movie There's Something About Mary? I oh, recognize yes. the name, but um, at the moment I can't. There's a, a hair gel scene. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, and my that's God. That's all I can think of whenever I see him. Yeah. There, if, yeah. We won't go further into the movie, but yeah, I was, <laughs> as soon as he came on screen, I was just like, oh, please tell me this guy is just putting on a, a shtick. Tell me this is not legit tell me he's acting just for ratings please the thing with your is that you have those that seems to be true believers who usually have their main area of expertise so there's this david childress that you see quite a lot of in this episode i think he's a true believer because he usually talks about the same things and repeats the same phrases all the time sukalos right he contradicts himself in every other episode. He's one of those who just tell me what you say and I be on camera. That's fine. I have my bronze uh, fake tan on. I have my hair gel done. Hair gel. <laughs> uh, hair gel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, it's uh, and, uh, you know, he is the smarmiest. Uh, you can just tell by his body language, by his eye, like he is saying whatever needs to be said in order to make the ad revenue. And something must be wrong either with the world or with us that he's making millions and we're not. (laughs) Yeah, you can buy a ticket to his show for for like $300. Oh my word. So we chose the wrong side in all of this. (laughs) Kate's throwing shit. That's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. She's throwing shit. <laughs> Why? Okay. Oh I mean, my goodness. You know, maybe the yeah. whole glitter thing that was a spaceship slash halls of Zeus. Oh, I almost was forgot about that. Yeah. Snow. <laughs> yeah. They talk about it sparkling. It, it, have they like never Edward Cullen sparkling snow? <laughs> Have they never studied geology? 
have these guys never stepped foot in a kitchen with a granite countertop? Have they never heard of a volcano? Because a volcano or maybe an eruption or maybe an avalanche Mm. or just bullshit imagination because ancient nights were long without the internet. Yeah, that was one of my questions. Where is, how far away is the nearest volcano? And from from, uh, Olympus (laughs) that takes flight, we go to the weapons of Zeus and Poseidons that of course are energy weapons. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Oh my, oh my God. Oh, Oh, yeah. Sorry. I mean, this, does this dude realize it's a metaphor for the penis? Michael Cremo. Oh, Literally, <laughs> all the ancient stories serious? that have to do with Zeus and the lightning bolts are speaking in code about his ancient, quote unquote, <laughs> big dick energy. Oh, my God. you, Kate, you've never told me this before. Oh, my God. The more you know. <sighs> bum, bum. And I now know Kate's going to do an episode on on our show on this very yeah. topic. Now she's gonna... well, you know there there's yeah. the one the, okay. the great penis party and yeah, I yeah. ruined French baguettes for everyone. So yep. yeah, but yeah. basically, you know, the the old chestnut that ninety nine percent of problems in mythology come from Zeus not being able to keep it in his yeah. pants. That's like 85% true. And literally, it doesn't have to do with his thunderbolts. It has to do with his dick. And right. it's, but, you know, if, if you look at the various iterations of the creation of ancient man, according to mm. uh, Hesiod, who never seems to be mentioned as much as Homer, wonder why maybe because Hesiod was from Boeotia and Boeotians were supposed to be boring and yeah the theogony <laughs> is not the most thrilling reading you've ever done but anyway it, basically you know you've got uh this affirmation over and over again that male sexuality male virility male strength mm-hmm. is what is emphasized and valued and worshipped and you know to a certain degree that in the you know old times however you want to define them yeah you know there were obvious advantages to fighting off various (laughs) uh things that wanted to eat Hmm. you with strength agility whatever and you know whatever testosterone bestows but you know it, it's all metaphor. The whole lightning bolt thing, yes, that is, you know, it, it's code for such a complex uh, concept of male virility, male strength. And uh, by the way, uh, you know, if you grow up in the Midwest or the Southeast and uh, you sneeze wrong, there's a thunderstorm that creates a tornado and fucks everything <laughs> over, destroying entire cities. And yeah, lightning can also do damage. And especially in a super fucking dry climate like ancient Greece, where everything was drought and turns into a tinderbox in the summer. And I am done. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, I, I this whole segment where they're talking about these de- these devices and mm. all I could sit there is, is I'm sitting there watching this and I'm 
reminded of when my youngest daughter, she would play princess when she was a tiny little kid. And, you know, she's messing up her room. And I I never pointed the blame of the messy room at the sparkly plastic wand that came from the dollar store. That wasn't the cause of the destruction. There was a more logical explanation. It was her, you know, knocking mm. things over because, oh, gravity. <gasps> Bump the dresser, <laughs> things topple off. Novel concept. But could you not extrapolate that in an abstract theoretical sense to say that maybe the destruction only occurred when she grasped the wand and thought <laughs> of herself as this omnipotent <laughs> being? Right. Oh, right. whatever. I mean, yeah. George, what's his nuts? needs to fucking sit down and seriously wait for Zeus to come around and spank him for blaspheming his own goddamn heritage. Like, how dare he? Like, this whole, I'm just asking to cover gaps in logic and giving legitimacy to patently false Mm. claims. Also, Poseidon was kind of a bigger dick than (laughs) Zeus and he doesn't get nearly enough shade because everybody's like, oh, Zeus, ha, ha, ha. We all know about Zeus. But Dryden, the Triton and Poseidon. Yeah, and he gets off quite I'm looking easily. at you, Medusa. I feel you, Medusa, team Medusa. But, yeah. um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, Giorgio, note that Giorgio usually put this what if in what he says. There's usually a right. what if somewhere. Right. because Just asking. Yeah, you're doing the, um, what's his name? The old MMA fighter. What if Rogan? You know, yeah. What if is I'm the just right prompt? <laughs> what if? What if is the writer I, I prompt for fiction? I want to punch the fiction? next person who says that. <laughs> but um... there's a whole TV series called What If. It's <laughs> No. <laughs> but how about anyway. we talk a little bit about Apollo? Because there's the main gist. We gloss over a little bit on Zeus and Poseidon. They had energy weapons. And then we move on to Apollo and uh, Von Däniken, who claims that Apollo is the first teacher of the young Greeks. And he teaches them how to make buildings on mountain and the hillside and how to make roads, astronomy. I think he wanted to say astrology, (laughs) but got mixed up. And uh, this is how I feel for, about that. The, for the listeners who can't see this, Kate, Kate is flipping the middle finger onto the camera right now. <laughs> Two of she's them. So she's so <laughs> enraged. Yeah, somewhere. Uh, yeah, I now I do. Ha- I did have a legitimate question. Again, I'm the one that doesn't know anything, mm. so I'm. I have all these questions. I take in this information, and then I try to validate it why uh i don't know if you got to this point or not but apollo being known to both the romans and the greeks why is that is there a reason why all the other gods and goddesses have different names but apollo's name is not different between the romans well, and the greeks so technically there are or is that even a, accurate is this... yeah that's not quite accurate there are a couple okay. of uh deities who have the same name from greek to roman 
Of course, I can't think of them <laughs> off the top of my head, but I do know that this is an actual hmm. fact. I will look it up later and figure <laughs> it out. But no, it, 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 you know, most of them got translated. Like I would say 98% of them got translated. Hmm. There are like three or four that didn't. But, you know, that's no great shakes in terms of making Apollo something super special. No, but he was a favored god, especially since he had his uh, oracles connected to him and the source of divination and all of that. A lot of people getting high (laughs) and being like, I can see the future. But he he was not famous for teaching people how to build houses and road. He was somewhat of a teacher no. in some sources. And here, Van Däniken based all of this on a German translation of the Argonautica from 1776. To be extra annoying <laughs> because you won't find that so easily right. and you probably won't be able to read German from the 1700s and <laughs> make it extra difficult to... Uh, you know, reference his text. And even that he Mm -hmm. referenced his own books, the German versions of them in the English version means that why not put in the English title so people go and buy your book? They won't go and find a German lexicon to find out what else you've wrote in the 1980s. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Before there was Google and you could selectively be like, oh, those two cards in the card catalog <laughs> stuck together. Basically, <laughs> they talk a little bit about the Romans importing their gods from Greece and missing the mm-hmm. or monotheistic societies usually don't think about this. That in pluralistic religions, it's quite easy to just pick and choose the gods that you like. You don't worship all the gods in the Pantheon all the time. You usually pick your favorite one and you stick to it. <laughs> In ancient Egypt, for example, they they import a lot of the Greek ones because, oh, that's cool. And the Greeks found the Egyptians and, oh, this one works well in ours. We just rename it. We maybe put it together with another one and then mix and mash. We even have records from uh, or prayer cards from ancient Egypt where there's one of them. There's this guy that's really angry with his god. So angry, in fact, that if the god doesn't start to help him out, he will switch god. He promised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they had this more. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, you've got Hermes yeah. and Asclepius. Uh, Asclepius was, and Asclepius himself is sort of a mutt god. <clears throat> and I don't mean the Egyptian god mutt. <laughs> I mean, like, mutt as in dogs. <laughs> yeah. Like, because he's a combination of Egyptian, Greek, and um sort of pan-Phoenician healing gods. And, you know, that's an example of just ascribing whatever you want Mm. to that particular god. Because, you know, Norse mythology in some ways is a lot simpler to grasp because you've got the prose Edda and the poetic Mm. Edda. And you've got maybe, you know some ancillary interpretations and contemporary, you know, uh, commentary. But over the course of the archaic, classical, late classical, Hellenistic, and Roman eras, you have 
so many versions of so many myths and you have regional and straight language translation issues and you have human scribe mistakes Hmm. and um you have like you said humans deciding to just change which god does (laughs) what because they can i mean artistic license yeah (laughs) it's fan fiction like legit fan fiction i mean Uh, last week on, uh, was it last week? It it was on our latest episode, Dionysus. Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dionysus apparently went to India and taught them how to build cities and agriculture (laughs) and other rights, according to Diodorus Siculus. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay, Diodorus might have been a couple hundred (laughs) years after Homer Mm. and Hesiod. And no one ever talks about the rap battle between Homer and Hesiod. No, it's there's there is there is a legit rap battle between Homer and Hesiod that we're going to be doing an episode on very very soon. It will be interesting to hear oh, that one. Fun. It doesn't get too much attention. I'm gonna flow. <laughs> My flow is gonna be amazing. They talk a little bit about uh, Apollo having the same name and. Among the Romans and the Greeks. I think we covered that nicely. And they leave us floating here and takes us to uh, France and the Karnak stones again. But at least this one we have uh, Childress walking on site at Karnak talking on how archaeologists are baffled on how they managed to get stones to stand up. And... (laughs) Did he not read the National Geographic article from like the 90s about how the group of scientists actually recreated how they lifted the stone faces on Easter Island like uh, levers 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 sledges lubrication we also have uh, what's his name uh, Willie Wallington so there was a gentleman who built his own stonehenge by himself in his backyard using levers and wow sticks and ropes, and um, he managed one person, no machinery, yeah. just patience, and just thought about it. <laughs> so it's possible, and wow. they usually indicate that these Karnak stones were <laughs> shipped to the site, which is not true. I've been to Karnak, and there's rocks everywhere. Granite, you just need to roll it a little bit to get it in line and you're finished, basically. Because the world might be older. Hang on if I'm saying something new, but the world might be older than 4,000 years. (laughs) And there might have been glaciers and ice ages that pushed stone to the surface Mm. in certain northern uh, latitudes. Latitudes. Yes. And uh, yeah, just... Just You're saying that there's possibilities for boulders. I'm you? just asking. You're just asking questions. <laughs> Have you thought about the I'm boulders? Just, uh, I, I'm just <laughs> positing a theory out there. What if the stones were because there all if along? if I posit a theory, that must mean I'm right. <laughs> right. And then uh, Michael Cremo comes <laughs> in talking about this intersecting lines and triangles that's only visible from the air. Mm. And... I couldn't oh really get this, but uh, we get to that a bit 
<laughs> later down the notes because they will start to add formations over the stones just so you can see them and they're just randomly right. painted <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Thousands of large stones have been arranged in very interesting patterns. They're arranged in intersecting lines that form triangles that could only be visible from above the earth. But, oh, um, the yeah, the whole only visible from the air line. That oh my god, I I was wanting to throw things. Oh, <laughs> have these people never? I was never more us? proud. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if we we didn't say this in the beginning. So I was in a Google Doc typing my reactions <laughs> while I was watching this show, and Kate was. I shared it with her. So she was watching my <laughs> typing because we're not in the same location. Yeah. Um, so she's watching the typing and she's commenting in the document as well. And she's like, I'm so proud. I'm so proud. I'm so proud. I'm so proud. <laughs> and then I'm like, you validate my existence. Yeah, you make me yeah. real. <laughs> and it's like, have these people never walked in a cemetery a few years ago? I went on a field trip with my kid to Washington, D.C., mm. and it included a visit to the National Cemetery. There are over 400,000 graves yeah. in National Cemetery. 400,000. That's a crazy number of dead bodies. And this was a highlight for me, not because of the dead bodies. <laughs> um, it was. I mean, that's the, what. Yeah. Yeah. Kate would be all about that. But for me, <laughs> it was that all the gravestones were in neat and orderly rows. Mm. And I was standing on the ground. I did not like have a spreadsheet. to be in the air. Oh, yes. It was like a spreadsheet. <laughs> I did not have to be in the air. A terrible spreadsheet. To recognize that these were in like perfect angles and the lines going this way and 90 degrees yeah, and that way quite so if you stood, sure it, that it was yeah <laughs> that they use the same I technology probably even stopped to take a picture <laughs> exactly so if you want a straight exactly. line all you need is two people and then just a piece of string yeah. or rope or anything and you yeah. can just measure it out <laughs> so uh, yeah yeah have you ever seen on YouTube, there are these like ancient tool and ancient survival shelter building videos. I, I you know, as I was like rooting around and kind of preparing for this mm. episode, I, I found, you know, how you actually grind a stone into being a sharp ax edge and then how you grind it into being a chisel and then how you dig and build and mix basic clay and i'm like yeah that works kate that works <laughs> after but this after this recording we're gonna discuss why you were watching this but carry on <laughs> i you know uh, my algorithm just gives up the, yeah it it has given yeah. up trying to predict me because from k-pop <laughs> to bondi beach rescue to yeah <laughs> archaeology <but> archaeology <laughs> like and then she added in another cute little photograph of her like ducking underneath this little stone structure where they novel concept they put one stone on top of another 
Mm. Wow. Not like Stonehenge at all. Like these giant (laughs) stone pieces that uh, it must have been aliens being like, man, you lost your mom. That's so sad. Let me build a dolmen for you with my tractor. (laughs) Yeah, dolmen is Uh, the most or among the oldest uh, construction, especially in grave settings, because they are quite simple. You take two stones, put them up, and then you put a roof over and... And you can do that because nobody else has much else to do, (laughs) you know, at night except stand around and like brace the stone while you lift the other one up. Like, just. But, you know, the thing they're not saying is about these stones is that these weren't just one person being buried. These were generations, Mm. hundreds, if not thousands of years of key you know, tribal leaders and their families being buried in these uh, structures. They have layers of bodies that they have excavated because it's not just one special person (laughs) being buried. Like, No, not in the dolmens. As you say, it's a multi-generational usage. Even in Scandinavia where we have those, it's usually families. It's more later as the society goes more stratified that you build more mm-hmm. bigger monuments for single individuals. But in the... Yeah. And then right. yet we're also coming back around because, you know, when I was in Italy visiting some of my uh, family, we went to, you know, their graves and, you know, they had been cremated and they were in a little square in a mausoleum mm. wall, like this huge right. wall. So, yeah, you know... If that's not a modern dolmen, <laughs> I don't know yeah, what it is. Somewhat, somewhat yeah, it somewhat is. From Karnak, we go back to Greece, to Pindar, and uh, the <sighs> land really? of Hyperborea, where, according to the show, the sun shines for 24 hours. So, The ancient Greek poet Pindar spoke of a mystical land called Hyperborea, far to the north, where the sun shined 24 hours a day. Of course, we're talking about Scandinavia and are going to open up towards, you know, <laughs> coming up here and I po- put a little picture on uh, how... Uh, yeah, you did a picture too! <laughs> if you want to see the 24-hour Swedish sun, it is bright at the moment. Oh my God, now, is this true? Is, is this that live it's right now? 24 hours? Well, a little bit before we started the recording. Like right before yeah, we started so recording? Wow. At the moment, it's... Uh, okay soon holy crap (laughs) but from this um, they talk about well the hyperborea that's apparently a land far to the north and they're referring to pindar for reasons i don't really understand he mentioned it twice nothing with 24 hours sun or anything like that so again it's the more artistic approach to the whole um, (laughs) 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 storytelling so he Mentioned it in his victory poems with um, the Pythian Tens and Olympian Three. Herodotus bring it up too, but again, doesn't really mention what they mentioned in the show. So again, not really showing off their sources here. This is Sukalos who comes in and tells, uh, to talk about Apollo, the teacher who, you know, flew over the Argos, scaring the Argonauts uh, or telling 
the Greek people, oh, I'm going to sod off to the north and teach the, some people up there, whatever he says. <laughs> I heard what you said there. <laughs> and um, Yeah, so hang on. Um, there actually is one kernel of truth in Pindar. Mm. Uh, he mentions Pythias the Greek, who was actually from uh, ancient Greek Marseille, or uh, we actually did an episode <laughs> on this back in our Greek Norsevember, because <laughs> there's Norsevember, which is like a big hashtag theme. So I'm like, you know what, let's just do Greek Norsevember, <laughs> where I tried to find the uh, crossings between ancient Greeks and ancient uh, pre like regular Norse mythology, like, mm. you know, pre-8th century Norse. And one of the things I found was Pythias the Greek. And in 300-ish BCE, he set forth on a voyage, uh, not using any particularly interesting navigational tools, just hugging the coast, you know, hugging the coast. <laughs> and instead of going up the rivers through Gaul, and he made it all the way to not just, uh, you know, the Scandinordia <laughs> region, <laughs> you know, because they never quite differentiate. It's always Norse, yeah. you know, it's it, irregardless. It, not Pythias got pretty yeah. far. Pythias got pretty far. He got to fucking Iceland, I think, <laughs> according yeah. to... I'd have you know, to go back and look at the notes to see. What I, I we think had. he yeah. may have gotten close to Iceland. He remember that heaving ice yes. video that I should like yes. he talked about like yeah. this like rolling ice mm. on the oceans. And I found a video of it and I was like, whoa, <laughs> it makes me sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. but he got pretty far north. You know, it it's not because Pythias is like, I wonder what's <laughs> so far to the north. He, there was a long established trade from, you know, Greek Marseille to, you know, the North. And it was more like sort of a, you know, a hopscotch thing where, you know, these group of peoples would travel this far up, you know, the rivers into Gaul and this group of people would take over and travel further north. And then this group of people, it's like a giant game of telephone. And so Pythias was like, you know what, I'm going to talk to like the OP on this. And, and he's like, you know, I'm just going to, instead of the rivers, I'm just going to hug the coast. And he made it all the way up hmm. there. And I mean, aliens sounds like it's more fun, but yeah, like, the trade networks whatever. were quite I'm so done. <laughs> extensive <laughs> during the time. Yeah. The this show likes to either everyone is isolated or they are somehow super connected. They switching Because aliens. <laughs> because the aliens right. was that helped them. Right. Uh, but the whole idea of um, Apollo sodding off comes again from uh, from Mr. <laughs> Daniken. You can say sodding off, but I know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> but it builds on Von Daniken misquoting the um, Argo 
story in his book that mm. we're quoting. So he's talking about uh, Apollo flying uh, his way from Lycia and uh, scaring the Argonauts and so much that they go to land. I'm not going to read the full text now, but um, the original text is a bit more, it's different, so to say. But uh, <laughs> I mean, according yeah. to that particular version of right. the Argonauts yeah. story, like, again, for every story of the Argonauts that, you know, the author it's himself, because it's always himself, uh, hails as definitive, they're like, three other people in three other regions <laughs> at the same time saying this is definitive. So yeah. Right. They can all just yeah. sod off. <laughs> but uh, let's sod back to Karnak because now we're going to tie up the bag here. So uh, the Karnak, it was really signs for aliens because, you know, aliens, you need road signs. So you can find your ways. And since the Karnak stones are visible from outer space. Allegedly. Um, clearly oh this was God. like, uh, uh, this This was ancient mansplaining about <laughs> aliens mansplaining to each other because oh nobody would ask directions. Somehow, because they can invent interstellar travel but not the gps for some reason right, right. but uh, then we <laughs> see now on the screen the formations in the karnak stones i put it in the show notes there even uh, oh, yeah. okay other jen <laughs> oh my it's god it's time to describe it oh my god okay you want me to describe okay so uh, you'll see you the same picture <laughs> you'll see the same image if you watch the episode but i beg you not to save yourself <laughs> run away um <laughs> Yeah, it's basically just this grid, which, you know, okay, spreadsheet, it's, you know, rows and columns. You know, the, it's the a picture. basic grid yeah. that actually is legit in archaeology because you want to be able to, like, pinpoint where you're digging. Mm, you're it wouldn't be this blah, big, blah, blah, blah. but yeah, we use grid system in archaeology. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so they've... They're trying. They, <laughs> they've, they've drawn shapes <laughs> on top of this grid. <laughs> And I'm just reminded of the toddler sorting toy that, you know, okay, square shape goes in the square hole. Triangle shape goes in the triangle hole. Oh, the little triangle, triangle goes in. The little triangle goes in the little triangle hole. And it's just, that's all I could see was, uh, it's, oh my God, I'm like, Okay, I, mean, I can draw this over anything and it and explain it to make the it The symbols sense. aren't really connected. If you look at it, you will start to notice that there's stones in the middle of the symbols and the symbols don't really relate to anything really. It's just somewhat right. floating around the stones. And then Van Daniken comes in and yeah. started to talk about how it's 2,860 meters, something, something. And then, the, not angels, angles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> angles I, I, yeah. and the angles and he claims it's pythagorean two squares yeah. two triangles and a star equals las vegas like <laughs> what like, he's is, claiming that this is, is, that is your GPS pythagorean for... triangles in a geometrical oh pattern from the stone age mind you which is impossible for our Stone Age people had no yeah. idea of Pythagoras triangles. Pythagoras was about 420 yeah. BC. The distances of the lines are always the same, 2,860 meters, or exactly the half 
of 2,860 meters. The angles are always the same. It's Pythagorean triangles. It's all a gigantic geometrical pattern from Stone Age, which is impossible. Our Stone Age people had no idea of Pythagoras triangles. Pythagoras was about 420 BC. How could he know about triangles? Of course. Uh, uh, other Jen, I, oh I need God. you to like take point on this one. Yeah, this is where I was screaming at the TV. Oh my God. <laughs> a and triangle. I felt so proud. Yes, a triangle is a triangle is a triangle. We do not have to understand Pythagorean's theorem to know what a triangle is. Oh my God. I, and no one my, ever thought of splitting a triangle. Right. Into okay, two so, triangles. Yeah. So my kids, Frederick, do you have kids? I think yeah, you said I have you have two kids, of them. right? Okay. How old are they? Four and two. So um, we're still on the block. Oh, the perfect. <laughs> yes. Perfect age. So, you know, like around two years old, they start stacking hmm. blocks. They, they didn't go to college and get a degree in engineering. Hey, for mind that, you, did we they? put them in university the day they went out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the the Scandinavian uh, right. school systems are always so right. much more. <laughs> this is true. Okay, Whoops. disclaimer: I'm a product of the United States <laughs> and public education system. Not great here. Yeah, but toddlers like age two, they do not need an engineering degree to be fascinated by the concept of stacking mm -hmm. blocks. And it doesn't take them much longer beyond that initial fascination, maybe give it a year or two before they realize, oh, wait, if I'm a little more careful and I line them up a little bit better, you know, stacking them a little more neatly, mm -hmm. I can get more blocks yeah. before they topple. <laughs> the kids don't, uh, humans don't need the explanation in order to un understand that the rule yeah. applies. Hmm. Did I explain that right? Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, you know how we have different types of telescopes in astronomy? Like you've got radio telescopes you've got microwave infrared blood i obviously nothing's coming to the top of my mind because i can always <laughs> i'm one of those people who is absolutely sure of the basic fact but 100 fails when it comes to recalling on the spot mm. the exact example but right. this is basically the neolithic not Stone Age. <laughs> it's Neolithic equivalent yeah. of that. And, right. you know, Pythagoras was the first Western philosopher to actually codify <laughs> ostensibly the formula of this triangle theory. But there's actually uh, significant evidence that he actually traveled to other places in what was seen as Asia Minor of mm. antiquity like phoenicia turkey i can't obviously i can't remember <laughs> the exact ones but there's a um 
there's a book called Music of the Spheres that is all about the history of Pythagoras and the Pythagorean mm. theorem and what we actually know and what we don't know. And it, it's a marvelous uh combination of history, philosophy, theory, mathematics that makes it easy for people who don't math or who <laughs> don't history to follow the trail of logic. But basically, uh, it, you know, he didn't just get hit with an apple of item <laughs> on the head one day and be like, oh, gravity, <laughs> Pythagorean theorem. Like it, there was a lot of ancient arguing back yeah. and forth via letters and scrolls and stuff and basically academic articles back in the day <laughs> nothing is new like it didn't right. come from a vacuum right. yeah just well yeah. ideas Ugh. grow and that's a bit nefarious with the show that mm -hmm. they somehow don't think that people can uh, come up with things for some reason you can't invent stories you can't be creative you I don't know. It's just strange. You can't smoke <laughs> random herbs and get high or like ingest <laughs> them. <laughs> you know, like they, I mean, the cornucopia of things that would get you high in the ancient world. Yeah, there's a lot of um, interesting things. But um, from um, these, uh, you know, we can't do triangles without knowing the math. We move on to. Uh, the colder countries, uh, my home country, and well, of course, Norway and Denmark and those others, but we don't need to talk that much about them. Scandinavia. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we talk about Scandinavia or the Norse, Norsemen uh, who lived here. The ancient Norsemen, they even call. I wouldn't call, I don't know, 700 but BC or that's AC. Not, that, that's not. <laughs> Yeah, it, really yeah. that ancient. Yeah. Thousand years. Sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Frog. yeah. This is Got the category. But they like to throw throat. in the whole this, ancient yeah. wherever they can. And these advanced sure, uh, techniques sure. that these Norse had, like navigation. There's the most navigation they love to do. The Vikings and Vandal and all of that was hug the coast because... That's easy and scary. The voyagers on the open sea was quite rare. And if they could avoid it, they preferred to avoid it for obvious reasons. If you've seen the boats, they are quite narrow. They are quite harrowing to sail in. It's possible. It's not fun. No, but if you stay right. at the coast. Yeah. No toilet facilities. <laughs> staying at the coast <laughs> is the way to go. That's why we... At least in Scandinavia, have a lot of coalstone monuments, which, you know, way to find your mm -hmm. way to where you want to go. But they talk about how these Norsemen had gods, of course. And could it be the same gods as the Greeks? There are a number of similarities between Greek mythology and Norse mythology. And many of the gods are uh, almost identical. And they do much the same thing. And... The show claims that they are, of course, identical. We have Jonathan Young, who has a PhD in something I don't remember. He's not related to this, but um, <laughs> anyway. So it's, <laughs> He's not Carl it's Young. Not, Jonathan Young it's is... It's different. Yeah. And, uh, but he talks about Zeus and all these Skyfathers. 
that's somewhat correct, somewhat loosely. It, yeah, they are the they are no, both bit. known as sort of the mm. rulers of their particular pantheon. It's not so much that they necessarily rule the people because that's why they have human kings. It's like middle yeah. management. But they were you the um, arch uh, archetype of the Pantheon. Yeah. They are the if you if you think of the <laughs> dare I say Trinity, <laughs> they're oh dear the big yeah. sky daddy. The OG <laughs> god. <laughs> and they talk about how they travel through the skies in chariots and uh, what? Uh, yeah. No! Yes! I was like, Kate, did I forget something? No, you didn't forget anything. <laughs> Zeus didn't have a fucking chariot. Neither These are Odin, representing right? the sun because uh, the ancient news that life come from the sun. Oh, and I no. just... Wait, the Nordic sun god agriculture. is... Agriculture! <laughs> it's agriculture and fucking... Kate's That's losing it. Point. She's Sorry. absolutely but losing Susan it. But Susan Odin doesn't really have anything to do with the sun. Uh, it's Apollo. That's no right. uh, Helios. I'm sorry. It's getting late. Yeah, it's Helios, yeah. not Apollo. Ah! <laughs> Even though they yeah. grow together it's, a bit later, but yeah, I, I I'm going to my happy place. I'm suppressing the and, PTSD. Uh, God for the sun yeah. in the Nordic is Sol, which literally translates to sun, uh, if you want to do it in English. But yeah. no, Odin don't fly yeah, around in like, a chariot. Yeah. It was mostly Freya and yeah, uh, Thor. Okay, yeah. chariots. <laughs> right, yes. Freya, she's got the chariot pulled by the cats. And then Thor, he's got, it's actually more of a boat than a chariot, right? And it's pulled yeah. by goats. Isn't this right? Kate, uh, am I right? You know, all I... that matters is that goats and cats do not equal dilithium <laughs> engines <laughs> or aliens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to. I mean, Kate, do I get a gold star for remembering you that? You get <laughs> all the gold stars. Yay. And, uh, it, you know, it, it has been fairly conclusively delineated and elucidated that the ancient Norse gods are pretty derivative of Greco-Roman gods because not only were there the uh, endemic localized beliefs of nature gods, which might have had to do with weather, agriculture, fertility, I don't, death, right. I don't know. Uh, and, you know, syncretism is nothing new. But the Romans were also really just so good at colonizing and then exporting their culture from there so that even if they didn't get as far north as, oh, maybe the ancient Chankla <laughs> that they discovered back in 2019 in Norway, uh, you know, the style was there. Like Aldo just... Yeah. You know, Aldo Shoes has its tentacles everywhere. But say it with me. <laughs> Fuck the Romans. Fuck the Romans. Yeah. You have <laughs> these cultures that ripple through Europe. Mm -hmm. The Vikings were pretty good at picking up gods. For example, we have found the Buddha statues here in Sweden. Yeah. Um, bronze Buddha and wow. uh, Birke uh, imported from the Middle East. 
So they picked up things, they incorporated, and there's evidence that Vikings even switched religions to um, Islam just to get access to the better trading inside its cities. So, you know, when we're down here, we, we're Islam, but uh, back home, we're doing Odin and all of that. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> so oh, wow. I, my, uh, my ex husband, I his family had a property way up on what I like to call the east buttfuck coast of Maine, which is absolutely beautiful. But there was actually an archaeological study done on the property by the University hmm. of Maine because they found uh, Norse coins and trading items from... What Kate is talking about here is the main pen, and it was found by a treasure enthusiast who claimed it was located at a Goddard site. The fine circumstances are well murky at best, but we do know that this is in fact a Norwegian penny, most likely minted between 1065 to or between 1085 CE, and it's a single fine as we usually call these. No more coins or other Norse items have so far been found on the site. 1065 as the earliest estimate for the mint are, or also after the, well, <laughs> forgive my friends, Lönsons aus Meadows had been abandoned, so that was a Viking settlement, a short-lived one in Newfoundland. But the settlements on Greenland were, were still active, and on the site has been discovered a Dorset culture burning, which is a type of stone flake, indicating that, that there were probably trade networks coming from Newfoundland and even no- north of it down towards Maine. Anyway, let's get back to the show. That period, like, oh, you know, six, seven hundred years before Columbus, but who's counting? And they found that the Red Shell people and the Norse, there had been trade there. And, you know, if you actually take a fairly northern route, it's not impossible to get all the way to like Labrador and then down to the, uh, you know, upper North American Maine, coast mm. of Maine. And, you know, it's, uh, there's actually a really, really good book by uh, this guy, Michael Pye, called The Edge of the World. And it talks about not just the synchronicity between um, the quote unquote Norse and the Anglo Saxons and ancient Irish, but it talks about how when, you know, the Romans were trying to export Christianity up north, they changed it and they reinterpreted Mm. it to include a very um, northern-centric viewpoint. And, you know, this book goes into trading customs. It goes into all sorts of things. It's incredible. I I highly, highly recommend Mm. it. And especially yeah. Snorre Sedda, that many is familiar with, is written from a Christian perspective. So when you read it, it's explained for a Christian king, basically, his ancestor. But um, they talk a little bit about Zeus, and then they show a Swedish helmet 
from Vendel. Uh, <laughs> that I just reacted to. I mean, half <laughs> yeah. the pictures that they show have nothing to do or maybe are 1,500 to 2,000 years after whatever yeah, they're talking they like about. Yeah, they like that uh, because they have stock photos of those. So uh, yeah. according to the show, he has this spear who never miss. Kind of true. And then they realizing that Susan Odin isn't the same, really, oh, in that no. sense. What? Not the ancient alien type <laughs> of way, because then they, oh, right, Odin doesn't have lightning. Yeah, that's Thor. What we mean to say is that Thor, <laughs> he has a hammer. And if you look at it very nice, you notice that... Um, it has nothing it to do like, with pounding. <laughs> you notice that oh it looks God. like... Uh, oh, <laughs> so Odin, Zeus, lightning bolts, because reasons and they show this weird picture of thor while doing this yes that was the most bizarre picture of thor. it was like scrawny thor from a whole different dimension in the multiverse it's, that was like it, what it's a, i i called it it's a photoshopped guy picture of some guy larping it felt a little, okay, little yeah. bit like it i used to create these photoshops in marketing <laughs> like i yes this, this is yes. not real <laughs> <laughs> but um they're confusing zeus and thor and odin because they realizing right. that it doesn't really add up and just hope that the audience doesn't realize it and um <laughs> then they switch to uh, india because similarities, uh, they talk uh, talk about this. Van Dyken talk about the mother spaceship in India culture called the Vimana. Which there you can read, some thousands of years ago, gigantic cities surrounded our planet. They used the word cities because they had no word for mother spaceship. And of a sudden, out of these cities, smaller spacecrafts came out. Of course, in ancient Indian, they had no word like spacecraft. So they called it Vimana. It's not new to the show, but uh, the Vimana they talk about comes from a book written in 1974, who was uh, dictated by a medium to a guy and uh, shows these weird cyberpunk uh, versions of uh, aircraft. <laughs> I'm not at all oh my reminded of Joseph Smith and the Mormons and the uh, <laughs> variations that <gasps> oh, were dictated shit. to him. For- um, also, damn, so, I forgot all about that. Yeah, so <laughs> my oh. mother is from Croatia. My father was from India. They met in mm. California in the 60s, <laughs> in Berkeley in the <laughs> 60s. Like, that's the whole story. Uh, yeah. But I grew up reading children's versions of the Mahabharata and the Rig Vedas and the Panchtantra. And by the way, it's not Mahabharata. <laughs> it's Mahabharata. Just say like, Okay, sure. I'm just saying it's Mahabharata. Yeah, and uh, if we go back in the Indian text, it's in the earliest one, they really bring, don't bring it up as flying palaces, but it evolves as you read the text naturally. Oh. So I'm um, based a few, as I said, we have encountered this before. So you go from horses to chariots to palaces with wheels and then palaces without wheels that fly around. Normal things that, you know, happens as stories evolve. Absolutely. And then 
we go from the Vimanas to the fiery wagon of Enoch, except that it's Elijah oh, who encountered right. the fiery wagon. He isn't picked <laughs> up in it. He just sees yes. it. He's picked up by a whirlwind in the story. But Tornado? they mix up Enoch. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, they get the name wrong. This is this is Christianity. I this whole that's right there triggered <laughs> bad memories from what is called Sunday school in many Protestant churches in the mm. United States that I now refer to as brainwashing. But yeah, it was like they can't they can't even get the Christianity or well, that's actually Old Testament. So that's even pre predating christianity oh my god i was just like yeah oh, <laughs> wait was it old testament you see now i'm questioning myself damn it. elijah no, was, old testament. Old testament. It was yeah yeah, they, yeah elijah and Enoch. okay yeah 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 they got yeah oh you know i'm conf- okay i'm confusing somebody else in the new testament that was buddies with jesus <laughs> yeah, never mind like, ignore uh, me uh, it's i'm just yeah they got the name wrong so um <sighs> in one of our earlier uh, episodes. I'm not sure if it was a Patreon one or not. It, 190 proof are fangirl episodes. But remember, <laughs> there was a meteor that exploded over Siberia. I think it was like 2013. Hmm. Like it shattered oh, that windows. Sounds familiar. It was this incredible bright right. flash of light. It rocked the earth. Yes. I'm yeah. just. And it was caught on video from a lot of dash cameras (laughs) taxi dash cams but yeah you know yeah it 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 could have been enoch or elijah i'm just gonna leave elijah (laughs) there is no fucking (laughs) chair but then they start to talk about uh, got van daniken really excited i assume uh, something that For uh, a kenneth fascist swiss author <laughs> yeah as excited as he yeah. gets ken fader yeah. called this hypothesis the horny spaceman theory which is quite common in uh, ancient alien lore that the aliens come and breed with humans because we're switching to you know the breeding part which is quite common in Greek mythology oh. and we have this fantastic quote from Giorgio Sokolos that those men, uh, women actually had sex with extraterrestrials not with gods because gods do not exist when all these encounters happened and when women slept with those gods which can be found in multiple texts all around the planet that those women actually had sex with extraterrestrials, not with gods, because gods do not exist. Oh, yeah, mm. that sentence when he said that, <laughs> I I went into a Kate-like rage. I was, oh my god, oh fuck my I life. I think I typed in my little notes, O M F G, O M F G, O M F G, O M F G, just over. <laughs> it was. I went over the edge at that point. Like, oh my God. So, so are they saying, so I, I need clarification because there is a multi-part origin story of humanity in <laughs> Hesiod and the Theogony, according to that. Uh, mm-hmm. Zeus, you know, somebody let Zeus and the Play-Doh loose in the garage <laughs> with welding equipment. And, 
you know, there's just, uh, there are several versions of humanity that Zeus goes through. And apparently the, the literal best period of humanity was when he created the men out of gold and there were no women, just goats. And that was the ideal time of humanity. So, Mm. um, but also if you want to go with the, uh, you know, proto-Christian Socratic idea of, you know, what happened in the symposium when they were talking about how (laughs) Zeus actually fucked up and created uh, man and woman all in one and they couldn't move anywhere because you had two sets of arms and two sets of legs trying to move in a separate direction. And that's why Zeus was like, Oh shit, I better separate them. And he separated (laughs) them. And that's how you get men and women. And Socrates is like, bitch, please. True love (laughs) is between older men and younger boys. Yeah. That's common in the myth, but from, they talk a bit about the Zeus swan story which they maybe romanticize a little bit here. Bestiality. It's called bestiality. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. but Whether it's Zeus turning into an animal or the girl turning into an animal because of Hera. But I just... Yeah, Yeah, I don't really get the alien part of a swan having intercourse with a woman, but who am I? I don't know how aliens look like. I mean, do they know how bad-tempered swans are? (laughs) Like, swans (laughs) are like the prissy diva bitches of the bird world. Like, have you ever... Like, in Boston, we had the Boston Garden, like, the... uh, the gardens and then the commons, but like um, Mm. in the gardens, there was this big pond in the center of it. And every year they had to erect fences like 20 (laughs) feet around the swan breeding ground because they're like, very you protective. know, extreme bodily harm may <laughs> occur. Yeah, swans can be very nasty. They, have... they are nasty pieces of work. So here is the part where we will talk a little bit about the Lovelock giant. And we have again Childress on site and uh, he says as follow. And then they began finding human remains. They found up to 40 or 50 people inside this cave. One was allegedly seven feet, seven inches tall. They all had long red hair and were literal giants. So this is a variation on what's usually being told. Others tend to focus on the cannibalism and the double rows of teeth and whatnot. But yes, there is a cave in Western Nevada called the Lovelock Cave, located on the shores of Humboldt Lake. This cave was settled some 4,000 years ago. And what show is living out here is the miners didn't report this so quickly. It was almost a year later and the early excavations were, well, poor. As unfortunately, most of early 1900 archaeological <laughs> excavation was. So that's one of the issues with archaeology. We can't replicate an excavation. And unfortunately, quite... A lot of sites have been um, destructed by, well, treasure hunters as they were 
back then. But we know that the cave was more or less abandoned in 440 CE due to a cave-in that cut off easy access to the cave. But the myth goes that the cave was inhabited by giant red-headed cannibals. And these giants were attacking the Paiutes. But the Paiutes got together and attacked the cave and they lit fires outside and eventually this is what killed them. And if you look up the ancient aliens or the giant proponents, they will talk about the Siteka, that the, what they usually call the giants in the story. And then if you look this up, you will usually end up on paranormal New Age type of sites, but you won't find it mentioned by the, for example, Pyramid Lake Paiute tribe or in any academic way either strange right but if you have been with this show for a while you probably guessing quite correctly that of course they are not using the proper term so in the legends by the Paiute originally they are called Saiduka or tool eaters so this was because they ate this grass tool according to the legends. So again, the strange habit of calling something for something else shows up here. But this claim or the story about the Lovelock people comes from a Sarah Winnemucca Hopkin in a book that she published in 1882 called Life Among the Paiutes, Their Wrongs and Claims. In there she talks about a tribe who attacked them and tried to eat them. The Paiutes chased them to try to and started to kill them in quite large numbers. A few survivors of the attackers hid in a cave where the Paiutes asked them to stop eating humans and become civilized. But this barbarian tribe refuses and the Paiutes lit a cave, lit fires outside the cave and they are eventually, well, killed by the smoke. So that's the origin of the story or the well, short gist of it. If you are interested in reading or listening more on it, um, Skeptoy did an excellent episode on it, which I would recommend you to go and read and listen to. But the short gist is that there was a tribe, there are stories about it, but the new age slash alien claims are quite exaggerated. And children then moves on to talk about how discovering giants was quite popular during the 19th centuries. I'm not sure if he might talk about the Cardiff giant. Um, well, the Lovelock cave was found in the 20th century, but the giants were he probably refers to are known as hoaxes. It must be the Car- Cardiff giant and Elysia search too. And... As you might know, the Cardiff giant was created by George Hall as a deliberate way to show how gullible religious people are. And, of course, to earn some money, even P.T. Barnum got into the whole thing and started to create replicas of the giant and just put it a bit closer down the road and saying, this is the real Cardiff giant. And, well, people went there instead. So, giants in the 19th century, as he alludes to, we are founding is known hoaxes, basically. (laughs) And uh, 
if we go back to the archaeologist who worked on the site, and we're not talking the today's archaeologists, we're talking about the OG finders. They were called uh, Loud and Harrington, and they don't mention anything in their early publication about giants, except in a short paragraph that I could find. And I, I went through it quite thoroughly. But anyway, again, if you are more interested in this part, you can read Loud and Harriton's publication, Lovelock Cave. It's going to be linked in the show notes. And of course, go and listen to Brian Dunning talking about the um, Lovelock Giants. Uh, but here we have Childress come up into a museum. And here it starts to get dangerous when it starts to measure the cranium of the Native Americans, as you Phrenology might. Phrenology is not a science! Basically, he have a... No, he doesn't use the skull, but he holds the skull in the hand and says, oh, this is from a giant. And no, I studied osteology. That is not a giant. That's a normal <laughs> that skull. And then he... <laughs> and then he takes a jawbone from the person and more than... Uh, dental records or dental uh, you know mold and put forensic, it forensic that is not how you losing forensic ontology <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> not at all and he says look it doesn't match and he makes a mistake oh, so he puts <laughs> he puts them side by side so you can just take a computer and then put one over the other quite evenly and notice that it's no um, great change there but the phonology here, again, is not great, but from here we move to uh, Israel and a little pottery found because they were going to talk about Goliath. You, you can't see some... me, but I am reaching through the <laughs> internet to squeeze that guy's neck like Homer yes. and Bart Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> they show this little fragment of ceramics. They even You mean don't the get... Ostraka? <laughs> Yeah, they don't even get the oh. location where they found it, right? Wow. So they talk about they found it in a moat by the wall. Mm. It was actually found in a house. And what they don't bring up that in 2008, they did extensive research on it and realizing that the translation was very optimistic <laughs> and very long. <laughs> so I will link the study to it. And you notice how it will differ because they spent like four pages talking about etymology wow. and how ancient <laughs> pro-Canaanite uh, relates. But it's not <sighs> the 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 pottery show does not right. say anything close to Goliath. That was a very optimistic first publication. Jen, you had feelings on yeah, this yeah. when you watched <laughs> it. I have some fuzzy memories. Um I feel like at some point in time I was reading an article or I, I don't remember the source of this information. So take this with a grain of salt. In the Old Testament, the story of David and Goliath, the word giant doesn't actually appear mm -hmm. in older versions. That that's more of a modern... So I realized that I make sort of mistake here. 
So I remove that. <laughs> it is correct that the Bible does not say that the Goliath was a giant, but the measurement given for him is six cubits and a hand, so roughly three meters in today's translations. But if we go back to the Dead Sea Scroll, we learn that in the first century, he was only two meters and six centimeters, roughly, or four cubits and a hand. So he was in fact growing during the different translation. He would still be quite tall for the period, but not a giant. Let's go back to it. He was not descendant yeah. of angels yeah. in that sense, as I remember the yeah. story. I, I mean, can look you it could up put and me <laughs> next to sure. Dwayne the and Rock he's going to look like a giant. <laughs> And wasn't David young in this story? So yeah, David's going to be small. Yeah, and there's even um, discussion if uh, David was really the story, Hmm. was really in the story from the start. So it might have been another king, but was more adapted to a king that people would know about. But yeah, he was supposed to be a youngling, not a child. Right. He was, you know, a young man. But not yeah. as in the stories, you know, well, scrawny little kid. In in episode uh, seventy one, <laughs> which in real time yeah. is about to be released, <laughs> but in your episode release time will have been out for a few days. Uh, we talk about one of the first hu- complete human genomes hmm. that was mapped from a victim in Pompeii. And hmm. it was of a man, and he was about five foot three, yeah. which was <laughs> average. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you get yeah. somebody who's like six foot one, six foot two, and you play the game of ancient telephone. Mm. Yeah. You yeah. know, then like, all of a sudden you, you have know. a giant. We're going on the last <laughs> stretch here. That's. I think the most off-putting part. Rage-inducing? Yeah, when they talk about how Homo sapiens has evolved within the last 3,000 years. And that's untrue. And then they put a lot of energy on, uh, you know, the size of the brain, which doesn't really... That's not how you neurology... ...tie together with with your intelligence. Uh, The Neanderthals, for example, had an average bigger brain that we have. Were they smarter? I don't know, but they're not around, so we can't ask them. But (laughs) intelligence and cranial size isn't really connected in that sense. And we're just short of the cephalic index that was created by Ratzenius, Swedish scientist who basically created the phonology and lay uh, the foundation for Nazi Germany's uh, scientific (laughs) experiments and all of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, basically. And we starting to talk Hi, about uh, <laughs> about uh, the clone ship Dolly because you know all the different creatures in the mythologies were genetic experiments from the aliens because they wanted to combine lions and different things uh, yeah. make breedings as it and I laughed a little bit for myself because while Van Daniken talks about the breeding all of that they start to sewn in on the crutch on different statues <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> so I actually did de- did dig a little deeper into this uh, purely for my own 
edification because I was, you know, curious, like, why is there such small dick energy (laughs) on all these really famous statues? And Hmm. interestingly enough, so just like it's very difficult for us to divorce ourselves from our modern mindset about how we view uh, relations with minors, especially of the same sex. When it comes to viewing the relationships Hmm. of ancient Greece at the gymnasium, where you've got older men, where it's, it's basically a cultural expectation that they will take a quote-unquote minor under their wing. Obviously, I don't endorse this, and I think there is a lot of uh, untranslated and untranslatable PTSD (laughs) that shows up in ancient texts because of this. But, you know, we are looking at it from our own modern perspective. So when I, you know when I look at these ancient um, greetings and things like that, I'm like, you know, uh, take a step back and take a deep breath because we're not looking at it in the same way as we should, you know, as they would be. Mm. And it's almost impossible to truly divorce yourself from the perspective of where we are to go back ancient wise without (laughs) any, (laughs) (laughs) but also uh, they were saying in terms of the uh, statue crotch size, they were saying it was an aesthetic choice because (laughs) it indicated a degree of control Hmm. over your carnal desires and your carnal (laughs) impulses and if you know anything about the ancient greeks they Uh, were in a paradoxical way all about control of course (laughs) even though they had almost next none wow (laughs) no but they in here we talk quite a lot about well except for crotch and breeding about dna and the fun thing is that the human genome was mapped by i think it was one year or if it's not the same year as this show released so if they just waited one year they had you know had black and white that there's no alien mix up in our dna if they don't have the exact same dna as we do which actually is a theory that we're just time traveling aliens but that's a completely different theory but uh, <laughs> then we end this all out on the question could there be aliens living among us and they leave mm. us hanging there. And we should fill in, yes, yes, there are aliens living among us. But Yen and Kate. I, I think life the, would be more exciting yeah. if there were if <laughs> if there were actually aliens, life would be way more exciting. They're not here. <laughs> not That's here. not no. how you pants for McTheory. <laughs> <laughs> but Yen. And Kate, it's been great having you on here. If the listeners want to find more of you, where should they go? Oh, uh, yes. So I'm 
uh, going back up here because we wrote even though we've notes. done this so many times, <laughs> I still need a script. Same. <laughs> so you can subscribe yourselves to our social media scrolls on Instagram at Drunk Mythology Gals. We're also on Twitter at Drunk Myth Gals. Okay. We're on Facebook at Drunk Mythology Gals. <laughs> And we have a website, drunkmythologygals.com. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash drunkmythologygals, where you can get deep dives, lit crit hours, uh, 190 proof fangirl episodes, <laughs> just uh, so much more. <laughs> oh, it's random over there. It's so random over there on Patreon. And then if you want to attempt- But you get stickers. <laughs> yes, you can earn stickers if you last through an entire Patreon episode <laughs> that's really long. Yeah. <laughs> we'll mail you a sticker. Absolutely. <laughs> um, even to Stockholm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah. So if you, if you want to attempt to email us, we have an email address, gals at drunkmythologygals.com, <laughs> but we make no guarantees that we will check the email in a timely manner. <laughs> Frederick can attest to that. <laughs> yeah, there was a small uh, waiting time on it. But Just a little. <laughs> you answered? We did. Uh, we later. Like, yes. <laughs> it's like the, the recording delay. <laughs> All right. I will but, let you go. But yes, thank you so much. much. Yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and a big thank you to Kate and Jen from Drunk Mythology Gals. It would have been a lot of fun to have the whole group, but as things played out, that was not possible this time. But I hope to have them back sooner or later. If you want to hear more from them, all their links and etc. will be found in the show notes. And you should check them out. There's a lot of interesting things to find in their show. And remember to leave a positive review anywhere you can, such as iTunes, Spotify, or to your friend at the trench. I would also recommend you to visit diggingupancientaliens.com to find some more info about me and the podcast. You will also find me on most social media sites. And if you have comments, corrections, suggestions, or you will just want to write an email in all caps if I'm a contact info on the website. On our website, you will also find the sources and resources used to create this podcast. You will also often find further reading suggestions if you want to learn more about the subjects we bring up. The intro music was created by Alexander Nakarada, and the outro music is from a band called Trollscrew who will sing us out with their song Tinfoil Hat. Links to both of these artists will be found in the show notes. Until next time, keep shoveling that science.
talking. I can start singing Jonas Brothers. Do you want me to start singing? There you are. There you are. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. Remember that we have a subscription going on. You can become a patron or other subscriber for as little as $2.50 per episode. Go to diggingupancientaliens.com support. That is, go to diggingupancientaliens.com support to read more information and sign up right there.